Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sarah DeFores. And I'm Victoria Banks. This is The Table, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. Welcome to episode 15, when we talk to Carnival Music publisher, A&R, and manager, Courtney Gregg. So pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone deserves a seat at The, the Table. Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop you. Don't, don't let them stop. Don't, don't let them stop you. Courtney Gregg is VP and GM for Carnival Music, where she oversees the company's operations and directs their sync efforts. She's been instrumental in artist projects for Brent Cobb, Aubrey Sellers, Haley Witters, Eli Young Band, and more. Throughout her tenure at Carnival, she's also helped guide the songwriting efforts of Scooter Caruso, Natalie Hemby, Mark Irwin, Gretchen Peters, and Don Schultz, among others. During this time, the company has experienced 16 number one songs, countless other singles, and six unique writers celebrated for their first number one single. Greg has handled A&R duties for producer Frank Liddell on projects by Miranda Lambert, Leanne Walmack, David Nail, Kelly Pickler, and others. She previously spent time at Zumba Music, Billboard Magazine, and ASCAP. Greg co-produced the annual Americana Music Award show at the Ryman Auditorium from 2010 to 2012, and the Nashville AIMP Awards from 2016 to 2018. She's also the president-elect of the Americana Music Association Board of Directors. Courtney is a voting member of the Recording Academy, the Academy of Country Music, and the Country Music Association, as well as AIMP. She serves as an adjunct professor of music publishing at Belmont University, holds a BBA from Belmont University, and an MS in Mass Communications from Middle Tennessee State University. In addition, she's the founder of Start Swimming Entertainment, a management company representing David Cook, Blue Water Highway, Granville Automatic, Ross Cooper, and Josh Martin. We are so excited to present Courtney Gregg. Okay, so we have Courtney Gregg in the virtual house tonight. Um, she is honestly one of my favorite people that I know in Nashville. Um, and I mean that wholeheartedly from the first time we met. I just think you have such a wonderful, confident air about you. And I'm so excited you're here with us. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. For people who aren't familiar with you or aren't even familiar with Nashville or the music industry, um, how did you get started and how did you kind of work your way to where you are now and then decide to also branch out into management? Um, well, I'm from Nashville, so that's rare. Oh, a unicorn. Um, <laughs> I'm the one. Um, so, yeah, and it's it's especially rare because most people I know in the industry that are from here, they had a parent, you know, second generation. But mm-hmm. I'm one of very few people, I think, that grew up in Nashville whose parents don't have anything to do with music. So I went to, I went to Belmont, like everybody, um, <laughs> and... <laughs> Just got, you know, really lucky and actually met Frank Liddell, like, right as I was graduating. Um, and he was like, I, you know, I, I, you know, nothing against bigger companies, but it felt like a good fit for me because I like to get in there and get my hands dirty. And I really liked the music that he was working with. And, you know, at bigger companies, you kind of have to start in the mailroom or at the front desk, you know, and, and everyone's got to pay their dues. But, you know, for me, that was a good opportunity to get in and really just 
jump in the deep end and just, I was kind of thrown in the wolves. Like, here you go. Like, yeah, we've got a small company and everybody's got to do everything. So figure it out. So, so were you immediately pitching songs and stuff like that? No. So early on I was his production coordinator. So he was producing a lot of people. So, and I, I really honestly hadn't paid too much attention to that aspect in school because I, not really a, a production type, you know, now more so, but at the time that wasn't my strong suit. So I thought I'd go into management or label stuff or publishing. And then my first job's like in the studio. Now I wasn't obviously turning the the knobs or anything, but, um, you know, booking all the musicians, getting the label copy, you know, he was still some records, even to this day, he still cuts to two inch tape. So ordering the tape and, you know, like getting just, everything that goes around a recording session. And it was just such a great experience for me because just really getting to know so many musicians in town and engineers and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it wasn't what I expected. And so from that, he kind of had produced, well, he he was working with Miranda and Miranda Lambert. Um, (laughs) She was playing in Texas and he went to see her and this band um, the Eli Young band opened for her and he comes back and he's like, I saw this band. We have to work with them. You figure it out. Like, <laughs> so he's like, I want to release their music. So we basically started working with them. They didn't have a manager. So I was doing a lot of those r- roles for them. Um, we weren't necessarily calling it that because we were myself in the band. We were all so young and it was just kind of like, Again, all hands on deck, you know, just whatever we can do to w- make this thing go. And so we started working with 30 Tigers. We were one of their first clients, even before they changed their name to 30 Tigers. Like, that's how far back we go with them. And um, got a publicist and just kind of, and they had a booking agent. And it, it was just kind of artist development is what we were calling it. But it, a lot of it was management. So that's kind of, after that, we, we released um, two records with them. Then through the years, we released several albums on different people, um, Brent, Haley, um, kind of some with the intention of getting them as a launching pad, like we'd done with Eli Young Band. And obviously that's happened with Haley and Brent Cobb, but other people, they don't necessarily, they want to stay independent, you know? So, um, figuring out what that looks like. And we work with some Texas artists, Americana Ernest, And so publishing obviously plays into that. And, and I do pitch songs and I do work on the publishing side too, but my strong suit I feel like is kind of the artist development and taking the, the writers and who want to be artists and helping them get from point A to point B. <laughs> it's so unusual first of all to be from nashville and not have music in your family and be in the music business but to be basically working with the same company for as long as you have is almost unheard of in this business of musical chairs it really is <laughs> there's there's a couple other people in town that i kind of came up got in the industry at the same time that are still at the same companies. But for the most part, people move around. And again, I think it's, I mean, our company, everyone there, we have another girl that's been there 15 years. I've been there 18, I guess. Um, And then another girl who's 
been there 12. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a good place. Like, again, we do so much that it doesn't, no one ever gets bored. I mean, of course you, you go through spells and you go through ruts and everybody does. And, but, you know, we're always, we believe in the long run. Um, and we, we work with artists sometimes probably longer than we should, but, (laughs) um, you know, we're not someone who's going to sign you and then drop you a year later. Um, that's just not the way our company is built. Um, we're not really competing against the majors. I mean, we obviously love to have as many cuts as they do, but, um, we kind of have our niche, um, and think we do it well and just try to adapt to what we like. One time I think we were looking for a, a new slogan for our company and I just threw out like making the unusual usual like mm, that's awesome. you know ta- yeah. taking things that are slightly different not too different you know <laughs> but you know something that's authentic and something that's unusual to a certain extent but making it something that people want and you know so what is your what is your process like when you're scouting like do you have a scouting <laughs> process or are you just kind of always watching and and looking for that special thing honestly we don't have to do that much looking because you know you know how it is I mean there's so many great artists writers in this town and so much talent that I wish I could work with more people than we do but again one of the downsides I feel like I've been talking about the upsides of a small company the downsides is you have to be really choosy and selective with who you work with and also with a limited staff and with a limited budget compared to the majors you want to feel like you're servicing your writer so a lot of times we get sent over writers who fit what carnival does and I have to respectively say well we already have we already do that like you know I understand why someone sent you over to me to meet with but you know we're, we're trying to develop these two or three other writers that are close to what you do so it would be a disservice for me to take you on for you and for our current writers so we're looking for something a little different than what we're working with right now I mean and we still want our brand we're not going to go sign something you know out of left field but I find it mostly with the Texas acts like because there's not a lot of people in town that's quote unquote sign Texas writers. And so they're like, Oh, carnival does. And it's like, mm-hmm. we can't just sign every Texas writer. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's something I wanted to circle back to real quick before we get too far into the other stuff, because I love that you mentioned that since you've been there so long, it really does speak to the culture of carnival because people don't often stay very long in a place where they don't enjoy what they do and the people that they work with. I'm curious as to your experience overall, and then also specifically as a woman, if you've experienced any of the things that maybe a woman who was at a bigger company or had moved through multiple different styles of companies have experienced, does anything come to mind or are you someone who's just super fortunate to not really have to come across many of those things? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that it doesn't, I mean, I think we can all say it's come up, you know, through our careers or past, but it hasn't probably as much as other people um, just because I have been at the same place for a long time. And I have been um, 
fortunate to to work with Frank and everyone that you know that we've worked with at Carnival. It's not so much internally that I've I've, I've struggled with it or had experiences. It's more on the outside, you know, because even though, and again, there I don't think this is going to come across like. I think there's something wrong with answering the phone, but I, I just, that's not something I did. Like I started, um, not that what I was doing was any more glamorous, you know, it was scheduling and booking, but, and then they would, I would meet someone and they'd say, Oh yeah, I talked to you on the phone. You answered the phone. And I was like, no, that wasn't me. Oh, interesting. And they just assumed because I was a girl working there, you know, that I was who they talked to on the phone. Wow. So, you know, you do experience things like that, you know, that people just assume are because my first role was kind of Frank's um, production assistant coordinator. It took people a lot of time to get that out of their head, you know, that I'm actually doing something else now. You know, they'll still call me like, hey, can you help me do this? Can you help me set up a meeting with Frank? And I was like, Actually, I never was his personal assistant. I was just his production (laughs) assistant. Yeah. And, you know, just Mm. things like that. That, you know, and I'm not saying that a guy wouldn't struggle with the same thing. But um, it's just a little frustrating when you've moved past it. And, you know, I do think, because we technically don't have titles at our office. I have one in my bio because people ask for one. Sure. Um, but we don't walk around with titles where I feel like at bigger companies, titles are are more pronounced thing that you definitely know what someone's title is. So since we've never done press releases of promotion, people don't know the progression of what I've done unless they've sure. really worked um, closely with me. So if someone did something with me 10 years ago, they might think I'm still doing just because yeah. I'm at the same company. They they're like, oh, well, she must be doing the same thing she did 10 years ago. It's like, well, no, not really. I mean, yeah. in some ways, yes, just because we all, I feel like this business right now, everybody has to do everything. Um, That's a really unique way to go about it. I don't think we've heard someone um, from that kind of culture before because it's a really progressive idea to not have a, a sort of hierarchy and obviously there is one on some level but it feels at least from hearing about it very open and collaborative and like everybody pulls their own weight and helps out and does everything which is really nice especially because you are so hands-on and when you mentioned anything you had experienced more coming from the outside um, we were talking with a guest uh, just a couple days ago and she mentioned that she experienced a lot of her issues when she would go out to events or show up to shows or something and really uh, really have a lot of pushback when she tried to enter a conversation and tried to speak up or give her opinion on something or even just kind of like um get to know the people in in the boys club um nashville in general but the music industry as a whole are so uh community live events you go hang out and see each other after work when you're scouting talent or or doing something heavy that i'm curious as to if you've experienced anything in that kind of area in a more casual social setting 
Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it, it's definitely tough um, when you're the only female. And for a long time, I was the only female at Carnival. Um, so, you know, again, someone would outsiders would come in the building or we'd go out after work and you're definitely treated differently. I mean, I started Carnival when I was 20 or 21. So like, you know, seeing someone so young and just assuming, oh, they're an intern or they're, you know, I had yeah. my first couple of years there, I had interns that were older than I was. <laughs> like I was that young when I started there. And, you know, so it, it was also just the, the youthful female and I, I get it now being a little bit older like you see younger people you assume they don't have the experience or that they don't have I also try to remember being in those shoes and, and knowing what I knew then and giving people the benefit of the doubt and being like you know maybe they actually have the experience and maybe they do know what they're doing even though they're only 22 you know so well I'm curious with um your experience of really being the only woman at carnival for a long time have you adapted to being good at sort of being one of the guys have you noticed yourself sort of adapting for that or have you just always just been you straight up one way or another um you know I've, I've always kind of like I played sports growing up and you know I wouldn't, I'm not a super tomboy, but I'm also not super girly either. You know, I'm just kind of a, me. Um, <laughs> and when I remember when I was talking to Frank about the job, he was like, well, you know, you'll be the only female here. And, you know, is, is, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but people come in these doors and they're used to just it being a guy, you know, being all guys. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, you, we can't control what people are going to do or say, you know, kind of thing. And can you handle it? And I, and I gave him, I won't name any names, but I, I did three internships before um, I met Frank. And I told him three of the people that I interned with. And he goes, oh, if you've been around those people, you'll be fine. <laughs> He's like, nothing, nothing that goes on here is anything like what would come out of their mouth. So, so I, I guess I, you know, I'm just kind was already kind of used to it um yeah and again even looking back on those guys you know there wasn't anything super inappropriate that they were doing it was just yeah. it was just kind of what you would expect you know no I, I've never personally like had someone say something directly to me it was more the jokes or the the talk you know the sure. banter that they don't you know it maybe maybe you don't say those things with a girl in the yeah. room, but no one, no one personally had, has ever made me feel comfortable with something they directly said to me. Yeah. Um, fortunately. And Frank sounds like such a wonderful boss to have period, but for you to really kind of start your career with him and have someone who looked out for you in those ways right off the bat. Um, it sounds like such a, wonderful place to really grow your set of skills and become your own person if you will within your job title um did you guys often have conversations like that or was it a like hey this is what we're getting into and then we're like we're so in sync we don't really need to even chat about those things uh, yeah i mean it was kind of that i mean he's always been super um supportive and encouraging not just to myself but anyone that 
been there of just kind of doing whatever you want. I mean that in a good way and not like, hey, you know, sleep five hours a day in your office. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, if if there's something, an opportunity that you see that you think you could really make a difference and you don't have to run it by me, you know, he'll always say, just go do it, you know, just figure it out. And the Eli Young man was a perfect example. It was like, he just knew he wanted to work with them, but didn't, neither one of us knew exactly what that looked like and gave me all, you know, the freedom in the world to go figure that out. Um, and still does it today with, with me and with the younger people there. Um, it's just, it's refreshing. And I, I know a lot of, there's a lot of people in town that I've, I've heard similar stories about, you know, just being a real encouraging person to work for um, and work with. I mean, he always, you know, says, oh, Courtney works for you. And he goes, no, we she works with me. You know, mm, like he's, yeah. you know, and again, he, I think there are several people like him. And, and now with myself transitioning into management and potentially maybe hiring people on my own on that side of things, you know, I, I want to give them that kind of freedom that I always mm-hmm. had. And with him too, with Carnival, it wasn't even so much with the employees it was, but it was also with the music that we, we worked with and we signed. It's like making mm-hmm. sure that all the artists and writers we worked with got to be themselves. Um, and so that as someone who's working on the business side of things, you, you want to help them see their, their mission through. Yeah. So I'm curious with your, your, your roster, both publishing and artist roster, are there noticeable differences in the barriers you're up against with your female roster your male roster are there different fights you have to have on their behalf um are there different things you have to do to build their careers i'm, I'm curious um what you've experienced especially working in different realms songwriter artist the management you know i feel like right now it's a weird time to answer that question because i feel like females are getting their day a little bit i mean maybe not as much as um they should but we have great, um, you know, women writers that we work with and artists that are, are really kicking ass right now and doing great things. And I think we are, we gravitate towards people who have such a strong sense of who they are and who they are as an artist that that helps them. That goes a long way instead of, you know, sitting here and playing the male female game, which I, I do think they have had to have an even stronger sense of who they are but that helps so much because I know other people and we've worked with some of them along the way that just it was obvious it wasn't a good fit for us because even though they were talented in one way or the other they just didn't have that thing that really was their defining um whether it be a sound or like they just didn't have their voice yet and that to me is what you need, whether you're man, woman, child, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. just having that, you know, and so just watch someone like Haley and someone like Aubrey do really well right now. I think a lot of it comes back to them knowing who they are yeah. and it wasn't, it didn't happen overnight for either of them, but because from the get go they knew, okay, well, this is who I am. 
I might have to go through some struggles, but I'm going to stay true to who I am and I'm not going to change that because it's not popular at the time, mm-hmm. you know, either it's going to come around and p- people are going to recognize my talent or, you know, I'll just keep making the music I want to make, you know, yeah. so it's like their sense of voice and sense of self are their branding in a sense, especially with the women. That's a great baseline to be working with because Sarah and I did a, a wrap up at the end of season one of this podcast and we were talking about what we had learned from it and all these different women that we had talked to what we what it came down to was that success really depends on you having a strong sense of who you are and sticking to that despite what other people want to hear or what they tell you they want to hear um so that you're the tastemaker and I mean, if, if that's what you're working with, then it makes sense that that's gives you a different set of experiences, you know, like you're, you're not having yeah. to play the game the same way. <laughs> I'm like, where's the, where's the dartboard that I'm throwing at? Right. And even going back to the Eli Young band, I mean, I remember talking to them when they were playing, you know, hundred seat clubs and they said, we know what we want to be. We want to be basically a country U2. We want to play arenas, you know, and then, like they always from day one had that vision and that goal and other people we work with they want to get to the Ryman like that that's kind of the career they want they don't ever want that you know stadium (laughs) scene but they're like if I can get to the point that I'm playing the Ryman's across the the country that's the career I want because you're making good money but you're not superstar and you're probably getting to write you know you're getting to kind of do things on your own terms probably a little bit more than playing the game of you know a a superstar Um, but then when you're a superstar you can also call your own shot so you know you know it's it's um there's struggles I guess everywhere but um I, I I do feel like along the way um there have been writers, um, going back to more on the writer side than the artist side. I do feel like there are, uh, female writers that face more challenges maybe than the female artist. Um, because again, the fem- and I teach publishing at Belmont and a lot of people, a, a common question is I'm a writer and an artist, which one should I do? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you should do both. But, you know, I always encourage people if you have an artist's desire to pursue it because the writing side, as you guys know, there's so much out of your control. Like you could write the greatest song in the world. <laughs> you could get it cut by an artist. They could record it and it could still not make the album. Or even if it makes the album, it still could not be a single, you know. And so once you have written that song so much is out of your hands. Whereas if you're an artist, you can kind of control a little bit more. I mean, a lot is still out of your, your control too, but you can play more shows or you can do more social media or you can, you know, there, there, there are ways that you can kind of strong arm yourself into success. Um, and I hate, that's probably not the right word, but you can kind of, um, push through and with with the writing thing you can do it a certain I mean I I have great friends who just never gave up and they were like I'm going to succeed and I'm going to get cuts and I'm going to be a successful writer no matter what 
but at the end of the day, it's it's just so much is out of your hands. So I do see that female writers, you know, a lot of times they have to write with men or they have to, when they're, if they do write with another girl, they have to get a guy to sing the demo, you know, like just little things like that, that I wish didn't exist, you know, um, because people can't take a, a song that two women have written seriously, you know, without a guy either on the song or seeing the demo. So I see it more currently. I see more struggles with women writers than women artists. That's such an interesting take on it. We've never had someone put it like that. And it when you say it, it makes sense because as an artist, you're expected to know what you want and what you want it to sound and look like and make those decisions so it's a little easier to steer the ship. And even if someone does say, I don't know if this works, you're like, this is my vision so you can go for <laughs> it instead of kind of playing more of the game. I love that. Yeah, and it gives you an outlet. Like for me going through, I mean, the first 10 years of my career, I was strictly a songwriter and then became an artist out of necessity because it was... (laughs) To, to coin a phrase, like the worst kind of creative constipation <laughs> to be creating and creating and nothing getting out there, uh, you know, from you're pouring your heart into things and they're not getting out there. So, yeah, absolutely. The, the expression part of songwriting is incredibly important, whether it finds its way out into the world through someone else or through you. I wanted to ask real quick, your husband, Brandon, also works in the music industry and We've had a couple of guests that their spouse also works in the industry and they've um, some of them are like, we think about work life balance all the time because we're both in the industry. And when you're working in publishing, artist development, management, whatever, your email inbox is always hundreds of emails and there's always a fire to put out. And it's not just nine to five. And your personal life is your business um, for your creator and for you too. You guys are intertwined in a really interesting way. Um, Is work-life balance and making sure that your job doesn't take over everything uh, a conversation that you guys have often or has it not really been something you've had to worry about? Um, I think it comes and goes, um, just depending on what's going on and and our jobs at the time. Um, you know, there's definitely been times where it's easy to let it consume your personal life. Um, but I think again, the older you get, you just kind of have to, you know, you do, you do, you work in the industry long enough and you need a break from it. Like, I feel like when you're young and you're starting out, um, at least for me, I remember going out all the time. Um, you know, it, it was like, okay, well, I have to, if there if anyone invited me to anything, I'd say yes, you know, like, I'll be there, I'll be at that show, I'll be at the bar, you know, and then you just kind of, you have your circle of friends, and you know, everybody at a certain point, and you still go out and you still want to see people, but it's just not, it's not everything, it's not 24-7, at least for me, and so, you know, a lot of hobbies that I had when I was younger, I've kind of come back to um, as I've gotten older and been able to pursue that. And, you know, again, it then sometimes you like right now, you know, what we're going through, you miss being able to go out and go to shows and things like that. So I'm sure that when things get back to normal, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think some of the people that maybe um, 
didn't go out as much like myself. Like, you know, you'll see people going out for a while. Um, yeah, probably true. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think you have to be careful um, with, you know, it is an industry that I, I have friends that work in other industries and they would never work on the weekend or at night, you know, like they're just like six o'clock and that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Punch that time card and go, you know, they're just so baffled to think that you talk to coworkers and not even like your direct coworkers, but your, you know, network of people, because I mean, my actual coworkers, there's not that many of us. So, but you know, just this, the, um, you know, I remember being in my 20s and, like, trips I would take, it would be people from the music industry. Like, your friends are just, it's just so encompassing that, and there's nothing, you know, everybody has their own thing. But I, I've, I've found that um, I like looking for other outlets. That's great. That ebb and flow is it must be a little bit different now in quarantine, but it also must be nice to to get to see each other in like throughout the day. Um, and I, the reason, well, one question made me think of the other. So um, I'm curious as to if you have any kind of story that sticks out to you as an embarrassing music industry story because someone asked me this the other day and an experience I had with uh, with uh Brandon came to mind because he and I saw each other and I emailed you about it. Um, He and I saw each other at a show just like a couple months before quarantine at the start of the year, I think. And um, we were chatting and I I hadn't seen him in a while. Um, And he was he said something about you. He was like, oh, yeah, my wife, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I don't know your wife. He was like, yes, you do. <laughs> I was like, I don't know your wife. What is what is he talking about? I've only ever seen him in the office. Like, I know where I would have, you know, run into you guys. He was like, you 100% know my wife. <laughs> and I was like, I don't. It took me like two minutes. Y'all have the same last name. Like, I don't know why I put it together. But I felt like such a fool. And he could see it in my eyes. I feel like he could see it when it clicked. And I was like, oh, my God. Because I've known you guys pretty much the same amount of time. Um, and I just like walked away from that interaction. And I know he thought it was funny or something. But I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I didn't put that together for the last two years. <laughs> and then I emailed you and I was like, oh, my God, we have to catch up. But also this is I, I totally put my foot in my mouth. Um, do you have any stories like that where you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that? <laughs> I know that I do. (laughs) Nothing's coming to mind right now. But I feel like, you know, similar things where it's something you should know, you know, and or like you hear just a first name maybe and you're like, you don't realize it's a big producer. It's a big writer. And you're like treating them like they're just, you know, the intern or whatever. And it's like I did that with a big rocker at a bar right before quarantine. And my friend's like, do you know who that is? And I was like, oh, it clicked right afterwards. But then, like, again, not, I keep, I feel like I keep saying the older I get, but, you know, you, you let go of some of that stuff. Like, you do want to treat everyone the same. Like, you know, you, you do want to treat the intern the same as you do the big producer. Like, I, or at least I do. Like, I feel like that's how you should treat people. And, and so maybe some of the embarrassing things, maybe they were, 
you know, subconsciously, <laughs> like just the way that you would you would talk to anybody, you know. Um, Most of my embarrassing moments like that have involved, I think it's been like probably two times I can think of where I've had a full on conversation with someone at a social setting thinking they were someone else. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because there's a couple sort of doppelganger. There's a few doppelganger people in this industry, <laughs> and I'll just have this whole conversation. How's so and so doing? Oh, great! You know, it's like, and they kind of play along with it, and then I realize afterwards, wait, that wasn't who I thought it was. Doll. <laughs> so yeah, love it. At a certain point, we're all just like, you know what? We meet a lot of people. We do a lot of things. It's fine. You just, I love the people who play along. It's we're like. It's like you wave at someone you think you know, and they just wave back to save you the face. Well, there's that, and then there's the the there's the old Nashville standard, which is when you're bitching about a song that you hate, and then you realize the person you're bitching to wrote it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Nashville, there's ears everywhere. Y'all be careful yes. what you say. <laughs> I'm sure that's happened because I bitch about a lot of songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is a great place to start our wrap up. We've got five rapid fire questions. Sure. Okay. So who is your favorite creator at the moment? I know it's probably cliche, but I, I do love folklore. I mean, I, I've been a fan of her for a long time, but... Do you have a favorite song? Oh, it goes back and forth. Um, I really like the one. I like um, Betty. I like um, Tears for Cachet. Pretty much the whole, <laughs> I, a lot of the album. But so, I mean, she's always going to be high on the list, Um I feel like this year there's been a lot of new, a lot of great new music. Um, the Killers just put out a great new album. They're, I'm a big fan of theirs. My Morning Jacket, um, Father Down Misty, like that kind of stuff is what I listen to. So Taylor's album, she worked with um, the guy from The National, and they're a, a favorite band of mine. So I think that's another reason I like it so much. But Okay, so what is your favorite trend at the moment? I don't know if I even keep up with trends. <laughs> I'm more like anti-trends. Like if I see something, I'm like, oh, I think it's more just people kind of slowing down um, and just being more grateful and appreciative. I know that's not really a trend, um, but, uh, you know, and again, just kind of being more casual. Like I feel like I, I'm, you know, pretty low key, low maintenance gal. And I feel like hopefully that the, the world will come to that level because yes, that's what yes. I'm hoping to. <laughs> I'm not saying that it, it's not nice to dress up every yeah. once in a while, but I feel like that there, there is a little bit of like right now, everyone's like, I don't care. You know, I don't care what yeah, I look I love like. That I don't too. care. Yeah. It's just like, why do we have to put layers of cake on our face to be acceptable to, in your sight? <laughs> yeah. Love yeah. it. All right. Uh, a trend you wish would stop. Oh, it's more like, phrases I get really onto phrases that I hate like for a long time it was Sunday fun day I hate that <laughs> phrase um I also hate here for it or even when people say I'm here for that um, I just get flashbacks from college like frat boys with like red solo cups yeah <laughs> the one that I really hate is let's go when people say <laughs> let's go I hate it so much. <laughs> like I just so it's not so much trends. It's just it's just things that people are the catchphrases at the moment, and I just 
I mean, they're not even at the moment. Like, I feel like Let's Go has been hanging around for way yeah. too long. It's the new YOLO and it needs to stop, guys. <laughs> yeah, someone the other day is like, where are we going? <laughs> 100%. I agree with that completely. When was the last time that you failed? Oh, gosh. Um, probably today. I mean, um, you know, it's kind of ongoing. I feel like in this industry, at least for me personally, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I like to to really deliver for people I'm working with. And if they might not think I'm failing, but I think if I can't get them that co-write or get them that cut or get them that, you know, review or whatever it is, give them that gig that I have personally failed and I need to let go of that a little bit, I think. Um, and just realize that, you know, you hear it a million times. No one knows we're all making it up, you know, as we go, no one has the secret magic eight ball that gives you all the answers or we all would be millionaires, you know? So I can't think of a specific thing, but I feel like lately there's a few things that I wanted to accomplish and maybe, I accomplished them, but to a lesser degree than I thought. There have been people, there have been writers and artists that we work with that I just knew for certain they would be the biggest thing in the world. And then others that sneak up and surprise you that they just outlasted other people or they were able to, they always had the talent, but they were able to adapt it with their work ethic and just really stay with it and you know, make something special themselves. And number five, last question. Do you have any advice for the younger you? If you could go back to Courtney at any time in the past and give her a little bit of advice, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think take more chances early on. I mean, I think everybody, that's a good advice for anyone. Um, But I feel like it took me a while to really pursue some things that I wanted to pursue because, I just got so busy doing, you just, you can get consumed by it. Like we talked about earlier and you can just get kind of caught up in the moment and checking off boxes. And like when you're on the business side of it, more than the artist writer side of it, you're, you're just, you have a job and you have to (laughs) do your job. And, and I didn't look past the short term of, Oh, I want to, I want to make this happen for this artist, but I, even though a lot of the stuff probably was leading to bigger things, you know, I didn't see it at the moment, you know, it just felt like, again, checking off boxes. And so now I feel like in the last like five years, roughly, I've really shifted away from, from that and kind of, again, pursuing some things that I've wanted to for a long time, both personally and professionally. And so the advice would be just to do it sooner <laughs> um, and to not be afraid. And again, risk don't always pay off, but when they do, you feel better. And, you know, even when you fail, it you learn something from it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting Thanks, with Courtney. us tonight. Yeah, of course. We are really thankful to hear your experience because it's unique. I don't think we've had an experience quite like yours. Thanks. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. 
Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on the table do what you want work what you got say what you think and don't let them stop you stop you don't let them stop stop you don't let them stop you